Everyone starts from the same place, but only a few make it to the pros. Ever wonder how they did it? Well, here's how. This is the Pro Athlete Academy podcast, where athletes, coaches, and executives tell their stories on how they navigated their careers from youth sports to the pros, providing the decisions made, challenges overcome, and the methods used so that you will have the tools to reach your full potential. Welcome to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Pro Athlete Academy podcast. It's your host, Kevin Gilroy. Today, I sit down with J.P. Buckley, former NHL video coach, to talk about the role video and analytics play at the professional level and how you can use it today to improve your game or your coaching style. J.P. was introduced to technology and sports after his playing days ended after high school. He went to Boston University, where he took over as the team's video coordinator, and J.P. was blown away by the importance of the role and excited for where the industry was going. After BU, he made it to the NHL, coaching for the Nashville Predators and the Boston Bruins. JP is currently transitioning into the sports tech world, where he is expanding his current knowledge into machine learning and artificial intelligence. We cover a lot of interesting information here around technology and sports, analytics, video replays, and how it's helping both the general managers and the front offices of teams and the coaching staff to be better. We also discuss a lot of different areas where you can focus today whether it's to improve your playing game, your coaching style, or if your playing days are over, on how you can continue to pursue a career in sports and make it to the professional ranks. The two big takeaways from this episode that I want you guys to have is number one, there are more ways to make it to the pros than just being a player. And two, understand how we use technology can make you a better coach or player. We don't always have to be against the change, but we don't have to also rely on it. Understand the way the technology is, it's not going anywhere, and use it to your advantage. For me, our conversation was an eye-opening one. Usually I'm against analytics in sports. I believe that if you have a good eye and you understand the sport, that you no longer need analytics. However, after learning where professional sports are going and how much, and the shift from just statisticians to data scientists, really opened up the possibilities that mixing the two old school coaching and new school analytics can really help both the coaches and players and make our games and our sports that much better. I hope you guys enjoy this interview as much as I did and have a lot of good takeaways that you can implement into your game. Without any further ado, here is my interview with J.P. Buckley. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Pro Athlete Academy podcast. This is your host, Kevin Gilroy, and today I'm sitting down with J.P. Buckley, um, former video coach of the Boston Bruins, National Predators, and also was with at BU with me for, what, two to three years? Three years? Yeah, I think three years we have. Yeah, yeah. so um, know J.P. well, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to us today. Um, yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here, for sure. So where we want to get started is I know um, we were talking a little bit before we came online about um, kind of eventually getting to the technology side and where we're going with sports and kind of giving everybody out there some different avenues um, to get to the show, right? I think a lot of people growing up, the dream is always to be the player, um, but this is a really good episode for those who are kind of getting towards their end of their career and want to look at, all right, what are my options to continue my sports career? So um for those listening who are kind of in that boat, this is going to be a really good um, episode for you to listen to. Um, and always, if there's questions, comments, um, put them down in the comment section and let us know and we can get back to you on those. So, uh, but let's start from the beginning. So everybody growing up, 
as a dream with sports. What was your sports story as you're growing up? My sports story. So I grew up in Boston, uh, a lot of cousins and older brothers. Sports was just a big part of our family. So in the beginning, you know, I always wanted to go to the NHL or to, but for me, it was, it was less about making it to a final league and more about just like continuing to excel and continuing to like get better and be better in whatever the league it was we were playing. And so I was always chasing my older brother. I was always chasing my older cousins. Um, I came from an athletic family, so it was very competitive. And, uh, you know, we played, I played all sports, different, uh, all sorts of sports, I played hockey, uh, basketball, football, baseball. And, um, you know, we just enjoyed getting out there and having fun. Um, hockey started to, it was a big part of our family and that was always my number one passion. Um, so, you know, my goal is, you know, we watched the Bruins games every night on TV we were huge BU fans growing up, and uh, so that was it. It was it was always to just make it to the next level, be the best we could be, and then, you know, you always have your eye on the prize, like you're going to make it to the NHL someday. Um, so that was the end goal, but it was, for me, most of the time, it was how can I be better than my brother, yeah. <laughs> like be better than my cousins, just like keep getting better and, and doing that thing. So a uh, huge part of my life, and it really just was the, you know, driving force behind everything we did growing up. So the sports, and I can completely relate to you with the competitive family side of things. So, I mean, yeah. I got not only just my brother, Matt, who plays in hockey, I got about six, what, seven other brothers and sisters. So, I mean, I, it's something that from that angle is just, it's more of bringing the family together and it's just kind of what you did, right? Yeah. I don't even know if there, if I even could think of what life would be without sports. And it okay. seems like similar to you, that's kind of where you were at growing up as well yeah 100 percent. we like you know it was just something every different season we were looking forward to a new thing and it was always you look forward to that time this was when we played multiple sports yeah. all the time um you know started to get a little nicer out bring the baseball mitts out started pumping those in getting the leather soft and yeah. you know it's just what we look forward to is our whole lives really revolved just around that you know what what sport are we playing next what league are we going into and um, yeah, like you brought the family together. It, it was just such a, such a big part of our life. Yeah. When you, so multiple sports and I mean, just kind of growing up, how did you see those different sports kind of transitioning help you? So let's use this, for example, you got, you're playing hockey and baseball is coming along the next season, you kind of put the hockey stick away, but then coming back to picking up that stick, how did, um, how do you think that playing baseball helped you kind of with your hockey game? Yeah, so with, you know, the first things that come to mind is just like your hand-eye coordination. You're, you need your hand-eye, you need your feet, your foot speed. So when you're playing soccer, it helped translate when you go onto the ice. You feel like you got a little bit more control over your feet, helps you skate. Um, when you're playing baseball, that hand-eye coordination, it just helps, you know, using the same skills in a different aspect just translates to the next skill. And it helps you strengthen it without – sort of getting worn out. And for me, that was the biggest part about playing multi-sports is that you were, you came back, like once you went and picked that stick up again, you were so refreshed and like you're chomping at the bit to pick it up again. Yeah. It wasn't like you were ever getting tired or, you know, oh, another hockey rink or oh, another baseball field. It was like, you know, you had those set times and it helped you to look forward to the next time. And, 
you know, I always look forward to that part of that part of uh, the seasonality of sports. Yeah, it's good. But, I yeah. I could never. I mean, for me, I could never pick one. Always. Yeah. I mean, I was it, the only reason why I ended up with just playing hockey is because there was no other option at BU. And that's just where I landed, right? But right, if, they, yeah. um, if if I had the opportunity to play three or four sports during college, I probably would have. But yeah, yeah I, I think mean, it just it it just helps so much, like using the different skills um, for each different sport. Like it just gives you such an advantage, I think. And looking from and just kind of jumping ahead a little bit and kind of from you being in the NHL and the, around the professional guys, how much do you think being an all around athlete and playing multiple sports helps guys at that level? Um, or it was always for me to see what guys uh, were also unbelievable at other sports. And maybe they weren't the big sports, but like guys that were very good at tennis. Or, yeah. Or usually the guys that were, Usually the guys that were, you know, they're all, once you get to that level, everyone's, you know, an all-star, everyone's very good. Um, but you could see certain players, you know, if they had a really good defensive game, you know, they had a, they had a career playing lacrosse or, you know, football at, at some point. And you can just see how it kind of translates and like shapes who they are as a player. And, um, you know, there were some people that strictly played one sport and, and that works for some people too, but, uh, you just kind of got like more of a well-rounded sense of some guys. Um, and it also bleeds into the coachability aspect. I think like the more sports you play, the more coaches you're playing for sort of the more you get used to be working on a team environment, you know, work, being on a baseball team, different skills, different teamwork attributes and being on a hockey team. And, and that kind of just helps you form like a character that translates onto the ice. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, so moving on, sports, big thing. You kind of come into the end of, I guess, your high school career. Um, and then kind of knowing the story is you kind of see that you're in that position we talked about a little bit as to what this podcast is now going to go into is kind of the playing career to play at the next level is kind of plateaued. And now you're looking at, now you have, how did the opportunity of going to be you and being a video coach come about? and what were you thinking when that opportunity arose? Yeah, so my my career came to an end. Um, I was a hockey player and lacrosse player. I was probably a little bit better at lacrosse, but, um, you know, I wasn't going to go anywhere, and uh, it was basically time for me to hang the skates up to be realistic. And I got into Boston University, wanted to go there. Like, we grew up being BU Terrier fans and, you know, the education, that was also a big part of our lives next to sports. Um, so I got into BU, couldn't really afford to go there. And uh, so I got in touch with the uh, Jack Parker coach there. He's a family friend. Uh, he knew my dad. So I just reached out to him and said, hey, like, is there anything I can do here? Uh, work study program uh, to help me, you know, pay for school or just get some, you know, whatever, some tuition help there. And I was thinking that he was going to set me up working in the cafeteria, like, you know, go, go sweep the grounds or like do whatever. I was just, I was, I, <laughs> I kind of wanted to, I used to be a landscaper growing up. So um, that was really what I thought. I thought he was just going to like set me up here, some work study. And I, you know, I'd take out some loans and go to school. And he happened to say, um, you know, our video coach or a current student video coordinator is graduating. He's going to go to law school. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can come in and that, that, 
kid was Andy Saucier, who's won two cups with Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, so he was there. He won with you guys in 09. Unbelievable guy. But, you know, Jack basically looked at me and said, are you any good with computers? And at the time, I was, you know, making AIM profiles. I was browsing the internet. I was doing disk to fragment on my computers. Like, I thought I was, I thought it was hot shit. And uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. Like, real good. And, and so it just worked out. Like, the timing was unbelievable. And he said, well, you come be our video coordinator. So that's how I got into it. It really happened you know, serendipitously. I, I wasn't planning on that happening. and um, But I got in, got that video coordinator role, and it just it really changed my life, honestly. Um, changed the whole direction of my life. And it was, uh, it was stuff that I didn't even know was available at the time. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, so it was, it was just a real good opportunity. So it kind of just fell into my lap. And from there, I showed up freshman year, and Andy started training me. And it was a major shock. Yeah. Yeah. It was just what wild. Were, yeah, what were those? And I think around then, too, because I never saw, as a, from the playing side, I never saw video. I think we did a little bit in junior hockey. Uh, but I never saw video until I walked into BU. So that's kind of, I think, where we were kind of in those few years where the video analysis became important um, and you started branching out. Now you have like huddle and all those different services that we're doing. I mean, coaching the lacrosse, the high school lacrosse team up the street, they got video at the fingertips and all the kids love doing it. They break it down and everything else. But as you came in and it's kind of probably your first introduction to video as well. What, what was kind of the big eye openers for you? So like the way that it was presented to me was, are you any good with computers? You know, we need help as these coaching staff, you know, log on to our computer and, and just watch the game. So for me, that was all I had to go off of. And I walked in that first day when Andy was going to train me. And um, I was expecting really just like open up a windows media player, something real basic yeah. uh, that they would watch the game on. And that would kind of be it. Maybe I was, you know, recording a DVD player, but I walked in there and, there was just a whole rack of, of servers, uh, external hard drives or laptops all over the place, multiple monitors. And um, I really got a crash course in computer systems, database management, you know, media f- uh, storage and sharing and, and how computers operate. And um, so he started going, taking me through the software and the software is very complex as well. Like, you know, setting up, all sorts of fields and live tag in a game. And this was just stuff that I had no clue even existed. Yep. And, uh, here I was, he was saying, all right, you know, I'm going to teach you this in three days. And then, you know, you guys got a game in a couple of weeks. So I was super overwhelmed. I was like, this is unbelievable. What am I doing here? Um, but Andy was a great teacher and he trained me on it. And um, so, yeah, it was just like the level of complexity and just what was at your fingertips and the power of technology. That was what, that was what really started hooking me into like, okay, this is really cool because I'm not playing anymore, but here I am like on the coaching side of things, even though I didn't really grasp that at first, it was like, I'm a part of the team again. This is my way in. Like I thought that my career was like really over. I thought I was just going to be in the classroom and which is fine if that's what happens. But you know, I found myself basically by accident having the ability to be back on the team again. And for me, that was like, you know, that was just incredible. So. And I mean, definitely from the team perspective as well. I mean, I think that's the way everybody looked at you from our, from the player standpoint. And that was a, it was good. A testament to you doing your job well, 
right? Because nobody, I mean, you can fit into the team anyway, but if you're not doing your job, you're kind of on the outside anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the coach is also accepting and giving you kind of that more and more responsibilities as you kept going. Um, that was pretty cool because I'm sure at the beginning, and I mean, just listening to it, I've been in that room, obviously, kind of as we're watching um, the games and as they go. And I mean, I remember looking being like, what the hell, like, what's going on? No idea yeah. what's going on. So when you first showed up, was that first year kind of just, hey, just get the film from A to B and not screw up too many times? Yeah. I mean, like Jack and those guys were great with me understanding that, you know, this isn't, I'm, this is the first time I'm doing this sort of thing and there are going to be some bumps in the road. But at the same time, it was a D1 program. And like, you know, Coach Bavis, he, uh, yeah. he liked to watch his video. So, and the, just the way that I am, you know, I wanted to perform. I wanted to get this stuff right. But there was a big learning curve in the beginning because, you know, you're just dealing with stuff that you've never dealt with before. There was a lot of, I felt a lot of pressure, especially in game, because you're dealing with things like, I'll never forget the first day. I think it was the very first game we're capturing a game and my feed dropped out and I just, I had, you know, the whole system basically went down and I had no idea how to fix it. Of course it did. I had to go into that first period, tell Jack and Bevo, like, yeah, we don't have the period. I don't know where it is or what happened to it. So like I learned pretty fast, you know, that it's a high pressure job, even though it was early on, like it was a D one program where they had to win games. And it also showed me that, this isn't just a thing, you know, they do for fun. This is an integral part of the coaching process, the player development process. Like they really rely on this heavily. So while it was a little nerve wracking, it was almost like, okay, I have a, I have a job that matters now. So like I can take this and run with this, you know, this is just as much being part of the team as yep. being on the ice. And uh, so that for me was like, that was something I could hold on to and, you know, keep the end goal in mind. Like if I get good at this, this has a direct impact on the game. And uh, so it helped me weather kind of the storms, uh, some of those early learning curves, but it, it was that first year was pretty, pretty tough. I, I was basically just trying to keep my head above water. And, yeah. uh, sometimes I drowned pretty heavily. So. I'm sorry. I mean, think, I think everybody drowns every once in a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking at for, if you were in that position again and either you knew the opportunity was coming or you know it's an actual big role within teams now what would you give to somebody who's looking to get into more of a technology or stats and video analysis role what type of things could you would you have wanted to do through high school that would have gotten you ready for it well you know if I was to give a recommendation for kids that are going into college now that they're they're not going to be playing anymore but they want to find their way into the front office or on the video side of things I would suggest I would suggest looking at majors like analytics and just really start brushing up on advanced analytics. Maybe it's stats uh, classes yeah. if that's the route you want to go because all the, all the NHL, pretty much all sports now are data driven. Just like companies are starting to be data driven. There's so much data available out there, and it's the kids that can. Um, start to leverage or understand how to manipulate data to make decisions are the guys that are wanted in teams pretty heavily. Like you're seeing teams nowadays hiring PhD statisticians. They're hiring kids that, you know, got their analysts background. Um, so I, I think that's a, if, if you want to go in this route and you're not playing, I definitely would start looking at just brushing up on the analytics, knowing what certain terms mean, 
um, and how that fits into the game. And then from a video perspective, just like getting comfortable and working with softwares, working with computers, um, understanding sort of beyond just like, like I said, I, I was just doing AIM profiles and I thought that meant I was a genius on the computer, but there's so much more. And like, I know the kids nowadays are a lot more advanced because my little cousins are doing stuff on computers that like, I don't even know how to, what they're doing. And yeah. you know, I work with them. So kids are a lot more advanced now, but it's more just, you know, starting to look at the game from uh, you know, more of a strategic perspective and starting to understand the numbers and, and that sort of thing. Um, do you think that the, is just a, do you think that from, um, because a a big part of the video and it depends on what your role is. Um, a big part is actually understanding the game, right? So I think if you have that understanding of the game, it'll help. Do you? Would you say that the professional or the maybe not the college, but the professional ranks, they're looking more for the analytical side first, kind of the PhDs, and then they can teach them the game, or vice versa. It depends. It depends what side of business you're on. Like if you're, if you want to be in the coaching, scouting, um, you know, video side of things, it is all knowing the game, understanding the game. Um, some of the stats guys, the PhD guys are there just to, you know, write the code, run the algorithms, and then they kind of pass it off to somebody who has more of the you know, understanding of the game itself. Um, but a lot of those PhD guys like have sports backgrounds too. So they do know it because otherwise you're just completely yeah. lost. So you definitely, number one, you got to know the sport and you got to know it, you know, like the back of your hand and understand it. And, you know, for a guy that's coming out of high school, I just think a big part of it is just being a sports guy, you know, like understanding yeah. that lifestyle, being able to talk to people and, and come into it because, you know, those are the type of people guys want to work with. and Absolutely. And the sports world is very tight knit, even though it doesn't okay. feel like it when you're in it. So if you have the opportunity to get involved, whether you have connections or anything like that, it's probably a good chance that somebody within one to three steps of your connection knows somebody. Absolutely. So as soon yeah. as you start looking at it, it's, it's small. So as long as you can talk to people and you understand it and you can get involved there, but I think the analytical side now, this is kind of where I am on the fence still, I guess. And we, yeah, can kind of, I hear <laughs> so I am, I'm more, I, I guess I'm old school. Right. And I'm more of, if you understand the game and I've loved, and I love, I've loved sports since I was little, I've watched everything, um, coached at pretty much every sport um, and have been able to kind of look and watch a game and understand it. Now, when I look at a lot of the analytics, I see it as, for me, more common sense, right? The basic analytics that I've seen. I have never seen what the advanced analytics is, and I'm very interested to kind of figure it out now. Um, but the kind of one thing that I, I mean, I kind of joke about with one of the guys um, in the office is um, there was something that came, an article came out with the LA Kings on their Stanley Cup run, and they were talking about how their analytics, and I don't think this is what their analytics actually did. But the big thing of the article was is they their stats figured out that if you had the puck more, you'd win more games. And I'm like, okay, so we're paying all these guys a ton of money. And this was like, I mean, what's that, eight, ten years ago? So it's probably changed a lot now. Um, but it's like, come on. I mean, you can yeah. look at it differently. So when you – the one thing that piqued my interest, though, is algorithms and writing code. So what are these Great. guys actually doing? Is it 
looking it can't be just looking at if you have the puck more in a way. right so this is basically what happened like when the analytics first came into the league like they were spending a lot of time just trying to figure out base level analytics how were we going to even make sense of any of this uh, data? which probably what, what that was exactly what came out of that was you know if you have the puck more you're going to shoot more if uh you know, stuff like that. There's actually, I was in on a meeting with one of the teams um, and we sat through this, it's basically like a, almost like an hour and a half, two hour analytics meeting. Um, went through this whole thing and, and at the very end, you know, their conclusion was that this player needed to shoot more. He hasn't been shooting enough and he needs to shoot more. And our head coach just was looking, you know, he stepped in, he was like, you know, thanks for the presentation guys, but I sat down with this player about two weeks ago and I told him the same exact thing you just said to me. Yeah. So we don't need all these analytics to tell us this simple stuff. So that was a big problem that, that kind of, you know, managements were trying to figure out how to make, how to use these analytics. They were kind of pushing it down on the coaching staff and the players and saying, you know, this is what we're finding with the analytics. But these coaches are there for a reason. They have the intuition of the game. They play the game. They see this stuff. So they yep. don't need the analytics. So a lot of what, you know, those are just statisticians, basic analytics that came into play. And that clash led to bringing in more computer programmers to write algorithms to say, okay, let's figure out, we have these stats. We know this and this. Let's use the computer to tell us stuff that we can't just pull out from regular data. You know, find yeah. a signal in the noise that we can't find. And, you know, what it's come down to, and, like, that's why they're building out these teams, is they're trying to find out for their own specific team what metrics they should be looking at and to get them to where they want to be as an organization. Because every organization is different. You know, when, you, when you're all using a Corsi metric or all using certain metrics as a blank metric across the league, it's not going to help you with your specific team's goals. Uh, you know, how to figure out how to move in the right direction. I think that's what these programmers are starting to do. They're yeah. starting to take all the data from, from everything and, uh, you know, try to paint a better picture, like really try to find stuff you wouldn't see. And then, you know, the other side of it might be a little bit off topic, but the data that's coming in from like player, you know, wearing heart rate monitors, player health, that sort of thing, like these biometric sensors that are being worn by a lot of teams, Yep. You know, that's pulling so much data. So then you're trying to figure out, okay, based on this data, based on the load management of different players, how can coaches then maybe change up their practice schedule after you come home from a long road trip or after you play a certain team or certain things like that. It's And then it's also bleeding into sort of the sports performance side of things like, you know, this guy, how can we help get him back from injury sooner? You know, what kind of tailor our workouts specific to certain players? So, the algorithms are really coming in on that side of thing because you have so much data and, um, you know, so it's, but it is, it is a new world. Like it is, uh, hockey is still very much old school and it's kind of, it's starting to push over that way over that hump. Now that they're starting to get real metrics out of it, but for a long time, yeah, it was, it was sort of a head scratch or some of that stuff. We'd get yeah. Out. I mean, cause it, it seems like just, you get more, it's more randomization within, within hockey. I think like baseball, it's the same thing. It's repetitive. It's the same thing over and over again. So, like, the data set then makes sense. Okay, don't swing at curveballs, swing at fastballs. Yeah. Like, and then yeah, you we're... can do all that launch and whatever angles and everything they're doing now that everyone's just cranking home runs out of. Yeah, seriously. Which is it's, pretty uh, pretty wild. It's pretty much a video game at this point. It is. It 
it's it's crazy. Now there are video games like that, esports <laughs> coming out, but no, hockey is a flow sport, so it's tough to like you said, it's tough to have those static metrics. But like somewhere where it did come into play that you can see tangible benefit was this, the the stats said that if you pull your goalie under a certain amount of time, it doesn't impact whether you get scored on or not. It actually help you the other way. So like. Patrick Waugh, he was pulling his goalie with four minutes left. And people thought he was an idiot, but stats were kind of backing him up saying, yeah. it's not going to hurt you. It's actually going to help you. So you might as well. So like cert, finding certain areas like that, where it does make sense and coaches are willing to buy in, that's one thing. But when you start trying to tell a coach how to play or, you know, tell a player to start playing a different way because of this metric, that's, it's not going to get adopted. No. So is it like the metrics that they're pulling out? And I'll use an example because foot, like, I mean, you watch football, they talk a lot about this. So is it more of kind of identifying if you go for two, you have, a, you actually have like a 70% chance of getting it. And that's a made up number. Um, so more coaches now are like, all right, let's just go for two and just say, or if you go and, to, if it's fourth and one, Hey, you got, you're actually going to get this 80% of the time. So like, yeah. For, so if what's in metric that in hockey besides the goalie pull, that would be something that they would be using or that these algorithms are finding? Um, well, one I know that, that analytics plays a big part in is shootouts. That's more along the lines of a baseball pitch strike Yeah. because it's almost like a static thing. So you know – you know, you've known what shots have worked on goalies across the league, what That's shots crazy. have worked, you know, different. And then it gets broken down even more because now you're talking about, okay, you take a slow approach, fast approach. You pull up, you go full speed the whole way. You take a wide angle left, wide angle right, if you're a yeah. righty or a lefty. So running the, that amount of data against like an algorithm it is just like, coach might see all this stuff or a player might see all this stuff and uh, you know, players will still be like, I'm going to do whatever I want. But um, those type of metrics where it's like, we're just analyzing what has happened and presenting you with the numbers. And then you use these numbers to make your own decision. Uh, that's where it's like helpful. Cause even if they score 80% of the time on a go for two, you know, Bill Belichick might see something that he doesn't want to go for two. So I think yeah. it's more just presenting the using the, using algorithms to sit, through massive amounts of data and then present it in like a logical fashion for them to make a decision with. So would it be something, um, would you be able to take that and analyze that for just say goalie performance in general? So you're going up against, I don't know, Luongo and you kind of have what, how, however many years he's been in the league forever. Um, you have 20 years of data on him that more shots go high glove than low blocker. Um, are they able to run things like that so you can have like players go in and know that hey these are the actual data driven weak points of of an opposing goalie? Yeah, a lot of the goalie coaches nowadays are working with the analytics department to That's get cool. those exact metrics. So it's basically you do, like you do. It's Gara on steroids. Yeah, big time, <laughs> big time Gara. Um, yeah, like it's it's tricky when you get into that. There's a gray area because not all shots like shootouts are a lot different from just all shots that go top. Yep. So you got to separate those out, you know, breakaways would filter into that sort of thing. But yeah, that's a, uh, you go back and you pull that data. That's just, uh, just more information to have to make better decisions. It's just data driven decisions. Yep. You know, it's, it can help. They're, they're definitely trying to find more ways to use it. But as you collect more data, like this player tracking thing, that's going to come in, 
is going to really kind of revolutionize, I think, the the quality data that they're they're going to be able to run on games because the more data you have, the more noise you can, or the more signal you can find in the noise, and I think that's going to lead to some pretty uh, important insights. So the player tracking, and that's just tracking kind of the movement within with within the ice and within the game, the flow of the yeah, game. Yeah, your GPS coordinates. So it could tap into. Wild. You know, if you if you start having all that data, and it's all time stamped, so you can have, you know, goals scored after a certain amount of time. If you had like five guys low, and you get caught low, and there's a goal right after it. It's just like any sort of GPS coordinate yeah. that can tie into like strategy on the ice. And yeah, I mean, you can even think of like zone entries like and stuff, right? Yeah. Like, like how you enter the zone, how you're breaking out. Exactly. And you can even, like, and then that's taking like a winger, like. I mean, in, in the standard, like a standard breakout is you have the wingers and certain support. So it'd be interesting to see if those old kind of tried and true methods are actually the methods that you should be doing. Or exactly. should you be so taking that off wing to the side and kind of just letting them, like, because everything was what, don't cherry pick. Well, actually, maybe cherry picking actually works now. Right. Yeah. Because like, the, the analytics have come from events, which would be like a shot, a hit, um, you know, uh, a goal. These are all events. When it comes yeah. to systems-based things, like that's what video coaches do. We manually enter the systems side of things. So like a breakout, a two, and then we identify, is it a two-on-two? Two? Is it a, you know, one-three-one? One? Is it a three-one-one? Against what they're doing. Um, that was all manual stuff. So we don't have like data. The analytics aren't running off of our manually entered kind of just our yeah. eye test on that sort of thing. But now that you have GPS coordinates on the ice, you will be able to track that sort of stuff based on where players are. So now you will be able to get actual results on is a two one two off a faceoff better than a one two two? Like how many times did a one two two stop their forward encroachment against a you know whatever if you jump two forward? So just that level of insight now might have actual more impact on uh, the strategic decision making yeah. coaches. How much is these? And I know the the biometric I think impacts the players kind of in a more obvious way. I think at the end of the day that that's that's pretty cool um i always enjoyed even from a workout like to see the heart rate monitors i mean i don't i didn't like being tracked and having boil sit over my shoulder and be like you need that to be red like you basically need the hard line on this bike sprint um but i think it taught it told you a lot right about different things and you can see how i mean even from recovering from injuries and i think you can make that link a little bit easier as to how that type of stats is impacting players are the playing stats things that the algorithms are showing have the players first of all are the players more accepting to it and is it kind of impacting the way that players are starting to play or think about all right the coach is actually looking for this so i'm going to change my game to fit that one stat yeah that's a tricky one so players this is basically how it is in the league right now. Analytics aren't going anywhere, whether yeah. people like them or not. Coaches like them or players like them. They're not going anywhere. They're here to stay. So it's now people are just, okay, we have to buy into this. It's more the players saying, I know that management is looking at this type of stuff. So, you know, I don't know if it's changing the way guys play, but they're definitely aware of it. And they're definitely yeah. like making sure they're looking at it. Cause you know how it is. Like you pull the game sheet out of the game. You want to know your goals and you want to know like your minutes and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's a part of being a player to kind of 
see how you performed after each game. And now these are more metrics that they do look at, like they want to kind of want to figure it out. But a lot of the metrics are just more held in the up in the front offices. They're not all released to players. Yeah. In fact, most of them aren't. So they aren't aware of kind of all the stuff that's being tracked or all the things are being graded on. So it hasn't really impacted like a guy completely changing the way he plays. Um, the only times that it will really come into play is if, you know, a manager, a coach sees that, you know, he needs to shoot more or something. Then they'll go to the player and be like, hey, yeah. you got to start taking your shots have dropped off the last seven games, like start shooting the puck more. Or like using using the analytics just to show like, hey, you had 15 points in seven games then because you were doing like other, these other, you know, other metrics. Maybe you should pick yeah. those back up because they've declined. Points have declined also. So it's more of a – you know, players are aware that it's happening. They're buying in because they know they they don't really have a choice to buy in. They know that this is here to stay. And it varies from some people. Just like video in the beginning, some players don't want any – they don't watch their shifts ever. A lot of the older guys, like, I try and give them an iPad. Hey, you want to watch your shifts? No chance. Doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, but then you get the guys who are begging for their shifts after every game because they want to see. So, like, the younger generation of players is – a lot more in tune with this type of thing than the older ones. Yep. Um, so that's an interesting shift uh, that I've seen. But um, one of the things you just mentioned, which I think is something that I would have loved kind of coming up through, and I think a lot of other players would, is, hey, you had 15 points in the last seven games. This is why. Because a lot of, especially when you start going into a slump or and you're gripping the stick a little bit tighter and things aren't going your way, you kind of push more to just, all right, I need to get shots. I need to take it myself. Meanwhile, it was really kind of the little things. Actually, what you were doing is you were blocking shots, you were playing hard defense, right. and you were getting to the net. So the puck was just finding you. Um, right. One, I think that's awesome just for feedback for a coach to give to a player. I think that's important for coaches to always have something to give to the player that's not just, hey, you're not getting the job done, but this is why and how you can get there. Um, but also just a lesson to kind of the youth players and anyone coming up is it's not just that you're not scoring goals. If you're not right. producing to what you're capable of on points or even just playing defense, it's most likely because you're not doing other little things right and it's just right. compounding. So being yeah. able to actually visually see that would help, I think, a ton of people. Yeah. I mean, that's where you know my role came in as a video coach even before all these analytics came in. It was um, – like you said, you're not scoring. It's most of the time because, or you're not doing what you know your your job is to do. It's because you're not doing things away from the puck. And you know, my job as a video coach and working closely with a lot of the assistant coaches was going breaking down shifts, and being like, all right, you had ten goals and you know ten games here. Let's watch a couple shifts of where you were doing. You're moving your feet away from the puck. You're supporting the play. You're in the right areas all the time. And your output of the input you put in working hard away from the puck led to new goals. Let's yep. watch the times when you're not producing. You're floating around. You're kind of, you know, you're not supporting the puck well. You're not getting in the corners. You're being a little light, and you don't have any goals. So like this is why. So it is, you know, when you, when your when your productivity is going down, then having video sources and also um, just understanding, like you said, that there's other things that lead into that. Like you got to kind of analyze your whole total game because the output you get yeah and I think this is something just kind of walking through that thought process and as like as parents and coaches who are listening if you're able to get your hands on or able to film 
and kind of break it into shift by shift. That would be a good strategy to kind of just help out your kid, your son, your daughter, whatever it is, your players to understand. Because if you can visually see, players always think that they're working hard, right? No matter what it is, because they most likely are. I mean, no one's going out there and just like, hey, I'm not I'm taking this shift off today. I mean, right. sometimes it happens, but no one does that on purpose. It might, there's something else that happened. So if we're, you're able to get your hands on video and kind of look at shift by shift and not just look at the games, um, that'll be a good takeaway for you guys to be able to understand exactly what works for your game and what doesn't work for your game. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's been a big wave in sports technology uh, reaching like the youth programs, like yeah. coaches' eyes out there, like you said, huddle. Um, you know, these live barn in-house cameras that are live streaming games. Yeah, and they're getting better and take, better. They're getting better. Like, the technology's starting to get there, but, like, there's so much – for the youth player now, there's so much at your fingertips to help you develop your game uh, that yep. wasn't available back in the day. It's pretty fascinating. That's an area that, you know, these these uh, coaching apps, coaching softwares, video platforms, like, they're really powerful products. Yeah. Um, to be available for youth players. Like and basically what I was doing early in BU is available now to, to high school teams and stuff. So take advantage and if of that. You can understand sure. how to do it as, and a lot of the things too, that makes even skills coaches. So as I'm using it to kind of break down players that I'm training, I don't even technically, and especially now in the kind of current environment we're in, I don't even need to be in the same area. And I think that's what's, we're all finding out is we don't have to travel to the rink every morning at five to six to work on our shot and skating. I can take a video of it and I'm sure eventually it's going to be, I just upload it and the coach is obsolete. But if the parents and the players can actually understand how to use this technology and break it down themselves quickly, it eliminates from a cost perspective, the whole need for having individual coaches and everything else I oh I always think that there'll be a place for them but those they won't they won't get down into the lower youth levels right I think that maybe my stance is that really you're you don't need the individual coaching until you get probably into the higher end of high school when the competition pool shrinks and you need that one percent better in order to get there um, but if you're able to use film and really understand what's going on, you can take yourself a really far and long way before you ever need any type of thing. And it will help you get into when like a Jack Parker and those coaches are using this every second and they see something, but you might not see it. But if you know what they're looking for, um, it'll right. give you kind of a step up once you get there. Yeah, absolutely. It really levels the playing field too, just in terms of your own development. Like yeah. you can't afford to go get one of these coaches or you can't travel because you got four brothers and sisters who are all playing different <laughs> sports. Like yeah. you just sign into one of these apps and there's actually a couple, I'm drawing a blank on the name of one of them now, but it's like you upload, you take a video of yourself and you upload it into this app. There are coaches on the app who will just take a look at people uploading their films and give them feedback. So it's cool. It's kind of just anyone that's out there. Um, so there's just so much like technology is it's having such a big part impact on the game on all different levels. And it's in your best interest to just, you know, to, um, you know, pursue those and just see what's out there to help your game. So from a, you mentioned kind of going back, I want to go back and touch on it quickly. Um, when I, we were talking about using the stats and players, you, you've, you've mentioned a lot that it stays with management. 
kind of, and I'm assuming that's like the GM office and everyone else. So if they're using, does that first question and then I'll ask the second, does that include the coaches within that? Or sometimes it's not even getting to the coaches. It depends on what they're looking at. And like I was on the coaching side of things. So yeah. uh, maybe I was hidden from some stuff too. I think what the coaches, the management wants to have as much information as possible. They yeah, do want to have all the information from the analytics. Yeah. There is a thing about over coaching that I think people worry about. Coaches themselves worry about it. Players, you know, don't want to be over coached. Right. Like because there is so much at our fingertips now, it's easy to over coach a player. And then the player's in his own head. And then he's thinking, I got to take all these shots. And he's maybe passing up potential looks to a net or he's looking off a player that could have been a goal or, or you don't want to handcuff guys unnecessarily. So I think management has all the data. They don't want to handcuff coaches. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to, you don't want to overwhelm people. So they have it up there. We, as a coaching staff, we had access to a lot, like they shared with us reports, game reports all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure they had stuff up there. At least maybe it's related to, you know, scouting players or, you know, maybe more valuations or trading stuff that we weren't privy to. But, um, you know, that's kind of how it is. They have it at the top. It trickles down to us. We got a good, a, you know, a healthy portion of it. But uh, you just want to be careful of the yeah. I don't think they're... people with information, especially when it's not like fully, like used to, like it's not fully 100% there yet. You know, these coaches are still very much, in their positions because they're smart and they see the game like no one else does. Like some of these coaches I've worked with, Claude Laviolette, Bruce Cassidy is one of the smartest guys, you know, I've ever been around. Yeah. His ability to see a game without anything, you know, his ability to recap a game in his head on the spot is like unbelievable. So, you know, you almost don't want to send over too much data that's telling these guys what they already know because then you're insulting them. And, well, you know, it's, it's a balancing act. It's like any, it's part of being a good management and a good coach, you know, yep. knowing how much to release, how to rub a guy, when to use it, when not to use it, stuff like that. So when, um, I mean, for the management, I don't know if you saw too much of this and it could be just understanding numbers really at this point. I'm sure that analytics is becoming huge into cap space, kind of looking at contracts and understanding the markets. Um, were you, did you see any of that coming down your way? And if not, kind of, that could be potentially another avenue that kids can take to, in order to get into the front offices. Well, hundred percent. I mean, so, you know, cap space, that's all numbers games. So that yep. all comes down to your ability to, you know, properly uh, look at a spreadsheet, probably assign value to certain players and, you know, number, I wasn't on that side of things, but, um, so I can't speak too much into it, but I do know that like it's a numbers game up there. So you, if you know the numbers and you know how to work these things, and that's what it all comes down to. It's you know, at, the, at the end of the day, it, the NHL is a business too. So a guy's worth relative to what contract value he's bringing. Is it worth him to trade? What can you get for him? These are all like our managers, Don Sweeney, uh, David Poyle. These guys are you know brilliant numbers guys because they can manage a roster with cap space. Um, but it is interesting, like the company that I was just working with data robot, their machine learning platform, and yep. uh, we do have some sports clients, or, you know, they, they have some sports clients and a lot of what they were doing was trying to predict future performance of players and then use those predictions to tie into current valuations. 
Interesting. In order to figure out, should we trade this guy a year earlier? What's what will it be the difference be in value if we wait a year yeah. for production? Uh, and that, like that level of uh, analytics, machine learning, like that's where artificial intelligence is going to start coming in because now you're what stats do. Basic stats tell you what happened in the past. Yep. Essentially predictive analytics tell you what's going to happen in the future. And that's yep. where that's the difference between a statistician and now like a programmer data scientist yep. that these teams are hiring because they don't want to know what happened in the past anymore. They do, but they want to use that information to predict the future. So we want to take this guy's past performance and his age, compare it up against everyone else in his similar, you know, comparable age group production, predict his future output. Okay. This, this model is predicting that he's going to decline pretty rapidly. We might not see that right now because he seems healthy, but you know, yeah. we pull in all his biometric sensor data. They can't do this in the NHL right now, but in the future maybe. But you pull in all that data, you predict an output, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, this guy's not going to be worth that $6 million contract in six years, so yeah. we're not going to offer that to him. We're going to shave it down. Crazy. Yeah, it's that side of things is wild. So if you are a young kid, you know, looking, figuring out maybe you want to be in sports and you're good at math, but you're like thinking maybe I'll go into communications. I want to do PR for a team. It's like, no, stick with math because that's really what's going to get you a high paying job. Like a good yeah. job this team. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary too. Like kind of just, I don't know if scary is even the word, but it's just almost like wild how much they know about you and you yeah. don't even know yourself. If you have that level of information, you give that to your sports performance, your medical group, they're getting yep. you back on the ice. You know, they're, they have level of insights now where you give that to your strength coach. He's not making you do this sort of exercise anymore. Yep. Whereas before he might not have known. So like it can really help you, but it can really, you know, hurt you on the wrong hands. And I think that's where players associations are starting to try to, you know, figure yeah. out what to do there. I mean, it's the same with everything that you're kind of looking at too. And I mean, it's the, the whole kind of reason why there's so much, I guess, resistance to stats in general, because right. it is new and it is kind of to the point where, hey, if it gets to where we think it's going, and it's going to, like eventually it will get there. I mean, it's going to, it's people's jobs. It's, the, it's changing the way it is. It's kind of a changing of the guard. Maybe you don't have to be like Cassidy and have that quick analytical brain. It probably will help you if you do have it we don't necessarily need it. And it's kind of maybe like it's baseball where the managers are really just kind of there to yell at the umpire every three innings, right? They kind of just get a lot of things now is they get something from the front office and it's like, okay, I'll play this guy at second base and this guy will swing at these pitches and then we'll call it a day. Yeah. So it's kind of getting to the point where you do. And I think hockey will always have the one aspect of it. Cause I don't think, and same thing with like things like lacrosse, or those types of sports where creativity just wins. Right. So there's always going to be an element of the reason why Crosby or Ovechkin are so good is not because they can follow stats. It's because when they put themselves in a situation, they do something no one else can do or even right. thinks of doing. So yeah. that creativity, I think, will save them. But, I mean, if you can look at, hey, my knee is going to go on October 10th, in the second period, which I won't be shocked if it can do that. That is absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, 
Yeah, like I agree with you. I think in hockey, coaches are always going to be there because of the creativity aspect of it. But you make you applying the analytics for like those type of decisions is, yeah. you know, that'll well, probably keep have... coaches employed because, you know, if you're pulling a guy out and all of a sudden, you know, you knew he was going to blow his kneecap or something. Yeah. Then, yeah, that just saved you a couple extra years. Well, even from the coach's side, as you're thinking about it, if I'm sitting there and I like, I mean, for a while now, like the, the trap, you like Tampa Bay playing that trap way backed off through a monkey wrench in everybody's plans, right? Or yeah. as they develop new types of breakouts and things like that, I can see that tracking being huge and yeah. just understanding that, all right, hey, maybe the, the maybe bringing the off wing across the center in a support doesn't work and it's actually bogging us down and we should do this. I think from a coach, if a coach can accept that and apply what they're seeing otherwise, I mean, I think that's another way for people to kind of get an edge from a coaching perspective is to at least understand this. Even if you're coaching high school hockey or you're doing it for fun, just understand it so that you can use it. Because like you said, there's going to be more and more apps that come out that support those kind of lower levels. And, um, but it's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. There's so much at your fingertips. But we have one of like, there's a, you know, story that always kind of came up with us was, you know, if you're at the end of a game and you need to win a defensive zone draw and you're going up against a player who may be your third line center, beat him a couple times, yeah. or, you know, the, the, the analytics show that he's should be out there taking the face off against him at the end of the game. You're not sitting Patrice Berger on the bench yeah. <laughs> at the last minute of the game. So it's no, like, you're not. the analytics don't, you know, you can do whatever you want there, but that's just the reality of it. So um, it's kind of a good anecdote to some of the analytics. Because there are people that are out there like, coaches shouldn't even, what do they need to do? Like, just rely on the analytics. It's like, nah, we're not there yet. Not no. Hockey. And the players, I mean, players depend on coaches a lot just from oh, – yeah just to be taught the game. I mean, there's things that you can understand from a good coach, um, just knowing what it is. I mean, just sitting on the bench at BU, just watching the way Jack and the other guys just operated. I mean, you learn so much about the game that then understands what to actually do with the numbers. So there's one thing to understand the numbers, but then there's the other piece that I think the next step as you start looking at that, where being a sports guy or, or girl comes in is you can then now know what to do with those numbers. Right. And that's yeah, where you become dangerous. Yep. Absolutely. So, all right. So we're going to wrap things up right here. So there's just a few things that kind of going back just so that if whoever jumps to the end and does things can kind of recap it here. So I think one is multiple ways that we can get into the league. It's not just that you're playing. Um, and, the one we asked this question earlier, it's kind of looking at, all right, how can I understand analytics stats? Um, and you kind of have two places to go with that. You can kind of go into the algorithm space where you're looking at kind of gameplay or the financial number side. So I think that's good. Yeah. Now, before you get there and kind of for now, let's just change course for the last three questions and then we'll jump off. Um, people who want to start using kind of from a coaching standpoint, right? So when a coach, say I'm a coach and I'm looking at a game film and I want to kind of scout an opponent, um, Mm -hmm. what types of things within the film should I be looking for um, as I want to understand kind of what I can do for my strategy to attack them? 
So you want to start looking right away at systems. What systems are, you know, well, first you need to identify what, what style of play you want to play as a, as a team, yep. as a coach, that's your decision to make. If you want to play an aggressive game and that depends on, you know, what type of players you have. But once you figure out that, then when you're watching your game, you need to see is your, is the systems that you're using aligning with, you know, your objectives uh, as a coach. So start looking at your system, start looking to see on your forecheck, if your players are in the right position, um, if you got beat by a, by a certain uh, breakout against your forecheck, then you got to start looking at the other team's systems. How are they beating you? Are they beating you or are you beating them? And it's all just, it's the systems, you know, watching a hockey game is system against system. Yep. How can you make tweaks in game? But you can't make tweaks in game unless you really know your system, your players know your system, and then you can watch other teams to see how they're combating. And I don't know how much this is going on at, you know, the youth hockey levels or high school levels. I think it's mostly just the coach will pick a system and that's what you enforce. When you get to the higher levels, you know, you, that's still your baseline, but then you're seeing they're watching video on you. So they know what you're doing. So they're going to make a little changes. And as a coach, yeah. you got to kind of recognize that in game and make tweaks to your system. But um, yeah, when you're watching a game, it's, it's all systems. How, how, how efficiently are you uh, executing on, you know, the system that you put in place? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Two more from players and from a player side. And I know we answered this before, so I'm just going to kind of reconfirm for you is kind of the best way to go about breaking down the film. And what we said earlier was kind of looking shift by shift and kind of looking for the little things. Is there anything else that you can be looking at to kind of use for player development if I want to look at myself? Um, I, yeah, I would just watch your shifts as okay. much as you can. Watch your shifts, and I think a big part of – when we were in Nashville, a lot of our player development is we would identify, identify a player's comparable in the NHL. So if you're a skilled defenseman who scores a lot of goals – Watch film on players in the NHL like that. Watch a Tory crew. Watch, you know, and because that's who you need to have to identify with. Now, there's going to be some. Your role as a player, as you know, it changes the higher levels you go. Yep. You're not always going to be a skill guy scoring goals, so you do need to be able to adapt as you get older. But watching people who are in the NHL who are successful at this is only going to make you a better player. And then, you know, watching them on film going back and watching your own games or just working on your own game in general and seeing, you know, you'll start picking up with like, you know, certain areas you need to improve on, but just constantly watching film. You don't want to overkill yourself at a young age. It's, you know, you want to go out there and have fun really. yeah. um, making sure that's kind of your main goal. But, you know, there's so many tools out there to really work on yourself and just practice and uh, that sort of, that should cover it. All right. So last question I'm asked, um, testing this out in the early episodes to see if it's kind of going to be the consistent last question for everybody. Um, so there's a ton of competition as you're coming up, whether it's an athlete, a coach. So what is the one trait that you believe that either you had that separated yourself to be successful or that you think somebody will need to be successful going forward? Um, I think there's one trait I think you need to be coachable. Um, okay. I think you need to be able to uh, be humble about yourself, 
be able to put your own ego aside, listen to the coach's criticism, um, be able to understand where you fit on a team in order to help the team in the best way possible. And a lot of that comes down to just like being coachable, being humble. Um, because if, if you get a coach and he's just trying to help you and you're, you know, fighting back or you can't accept that, then you're not going to get far. And if you're kind of a, if that translates into the locker room, that sort of attitude, it's going to, it's only going to hurt you. So just being coachable, being open to criticism and being open to, you know, evaluating yourself and working on yourself. I think that's uh, the most important. There were a lot of good takeaways from today's episode. A lot of good conversation on where stats were, where they're going, and how we can use them to our advantage. The one big thing that we all want to understand is analytics aren't going anywhere. Whether we like them or not, they're here to stay. So what we need to be able to do as a coach, player, or somebody who wants to further their career into the front office is we need to understand how to use technology to our advantage. One thing that we can do today to improve our game while using technology is understanding how to use video to our advantage. Next time you have a game, have your parents, a friend, coach, film your shifts, and then afterwards break down what worked well for you and what didn't work well for you. By looking at this, you'll be able to understand the small things you're doing right that help you succeed and also see what you're doing or not doing during your shifts that make you unsuccessful. After you build up a long library of this, you have the data that you need in order to go out there and perform at your best. You also will get a skill set that you can use after your playing career is over to continue your pursuit into the professional ranks. And be sure to check out members.proathleteacademy.com for more ways to improve your career in sports and stay connected to past and future guests on the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.